So glad to see you here today. Uh, our key scripture this morning comes uh, from the book of Luke. And so I'll be reading this here for you today. From Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town together. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to on those to whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The coming of Jesus. The birth of the Son of God. Though it may not seem like it in some ways if you read the whole story, the story is really one of celebration. To be sure, there were those who did not celebrate. There were those who were angry. There were those who were threatened. There were some who did not know, who did not understand, who could not see what it was that God was doing But in these moments surrounding the birth of Jesus, for those who did understand, for those who knew what was going on, they were able to participate in this amazing moment in human history where heaven reached down and joined with earth. Where the Son of God took His first breath where the angels could not be held in heaven but had to come down and tell someone, anyone, even shepherds in the field, what God had done. Jesus, the promised king, had finally come and God was giving his great gift of restoration, love, and salvation to his people. This morning, this morning, we join with heaven to celebrate this great moment that changed the world and changed your life forever.
Hi. Nice, nice to see you. Um, the Christmas season is a time of joy. It's a time of family, and it's a time of stress. Um, I don't know if you are early shoppers or late shoppers. I tried to be an early shopper, and I was for the most part. Um, but there were some things I had to get last minute, and so yesterday I went out to the Target, Best Buy, Costco, Old Navy landing zone. I don't know what what you would call it. Um, the parking lot was jam-packed, and the, the lines were long, and there were just people everywhere. Um, and you know how I love being surrounded by all kinds of people. It just takes me to my happy place. Um, but I didn't curl up in a fetal position in the middle of the store. I waited till I was outside the store. And, uh, <laughs> um, but it, it can be stressful, and particularly like for us this year, we're, we're having uh, three Christmases because apparently we just can't get enough. Um, so we had one in uh, Los Angeles last weekend where I got to buy for my uh, elderly aunt that I haven't seen in like 10 years. What do you buy for your elderly aunt that you haven't seen in 10 years? The answer, my friends, gift cards. <laughs> gift cards and a blanket. Um, because, you know, it just, I don't know. You tape the gift cards to the blanket, it feels like you're doing something more substantial than you actually are. Um, but I'm going to break some gift stuff down for you this morning. If you're going to take notes... Um, this is the time where you want to take notes because I am going to open your minds um, to what gift giving is all about. You may have not realized this, but there are three elements that are necessary in order for there to be a gift given. Number one, there has to be a giver. Number two, there must be a, well, that's, number two, there must be a gift. Oh, yeah, see, you thought you were so smart, and look, like, you got it out of order. First, there is a giver, second, there is a gift, and third, there is a, a receiver, just like in football. There is a recipient, the one who is going to get the gift, and what is the goal of the giver. The giver wants to give something to the recipient that the recipient will enjoy, will like, something that they need. We want the giving of the gift to be a happy and joyful experience, which is why we sit there and watch the person open the gift from us like this. <laughs> right? Are you happy yet? Because I am. Um, and we wait, because we want this to be this magical moment. Now sometimes, you know, you strike gold. You give the perfect gift. The heavens open. Angels sing. Tears maybe are shed. Perhaps there is a triumphant shout. And inside you feel so good as the giver. Because you have succeeded in this task. Sometimes, however, the giver fails. It's true. 
Sometimes the giver fails. In my family, we have a pretty famous story of when my brother was young. My brother, for those of you who don't know, is almost 20 years older than I am. So my brother, when he was a kid, um, got this uh, wrapped globe-shaped present, and he opened it up, and it was, in fact, a globe. And he looked at it, and he looked at my parents, and he said, it's a globe. I didn't know I wanted a globe. (laughs) Apparently, he found out in that moment that he wanted a globe. But here's the thing, that as the giver, whatever gift we give, especially if we put a lot of time, energy, thought into this thing, a gift can be an expression of our love and care for the other person. Therefore, that moment while we wait, are you going to like this? You know what we're really waiting for? Approval. Not just of the gift, but of us. If you like this gift, then you like me. And on the flip side, if I like the gift you gave me, it means that you know me and you love me. So, you may not have considered this, but the act of gift giving is actually psychological warfare. (laughs) It's a test that we engage in uh, each year. Will they love the gift and thus love me? Do they know what I want and thus show that they love me? So Merry Christmas, everyone. May you enjoy the exchange of thoughtful presents over the next few days. And remember to always include a gift receipt. You may not think about it in these terms. I mean, I know it's silly to spell it out like that, but there's a lot of truth to what I just described, isn't there? And you may not think about it in these terms, but our relationship with God works in very much the same way. There is a giver, there is a gift, and there is a recipient. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to Psalm 89. We're going to read two different passages from there this morning, verses 1 through 4 and 19 through 26. But it will be on the screen behind me. This psalm speaks from two different points of view. It speaks first from the point of view of the one who is writing the psalm, and then the second part, it speaks from the point of view of God as the writer reminds God of what he has said before. Psalm 89, verses 1 through 4 and 19 through 26. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. So there is a giver, there is a gift, and there is a recipient. And in this case, we see that the writer has received a gift. And what is the reflection on that gift? That it is good... And that the giver is also good. Picking it up in verse 19. Once you spoke in a vision to your faithful people, you said, I have bestowed strength on a warrior. I have raised up a young man from among the people. I have found David my servant. With my sacred oil I have anointed him. My hand will sustain him. 
Surely my arm will strengthen him. The enemy will not get the better of him. The wicked will not oppress him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down his adversaries. My faithful love will be with him and through my name his horn will be exalted. I will set his hand over the sea, his right hand over the rivers. He will call out to me, you are my father, my God, the rock my Savior. This takes us even deeper into what's going on here in this dynamic. So the giver wants to give this gift. And what is the gift? The gift is God's faithfulness. The gift is that he will never lose, that no one can stand against him, that God will be with him. And he expects the giver to respond in what way? You are God. You are my rock. You are my Savior. But then, if you were to continue reading in this psalm, it immediately turns a corner. Because here's what happened. The one who God was giving these gifts to decided that he didn't need the gifts so much anymore. And he turned his back on God. And God, in turn, over this rejected gift, became frustrated with the one he gave the gift to. And just as the recipient turned his back on God, so God turned his back on the recipient. And they find themselves in a place where they're not speaking to one another, where there is not all that God has promised, where God's people feel that he is away from them. And the writer is calling out on God to remember, God, remember who you are. Remember what you give and come back to us. But isn't this a true example of what plays out even in our own lives? If you give a gift that is an expression of yourself, that is a part of who you are, and that gift is rejected, thrown away, sent back, How do you feel as the giver? Terrible, right? Because this thing that was a piece of you was just thrown away. God gave a gift to his people. The gift was just what his people needed. The gift represented his love and faithfulness to them. But while it was accepted at first, it was eventually rejected. Maybe they sent the gift back because it wasn't what they really wanted or perhaps they only wanted it for a time but quickly decided they didn't need it. But God the giver was rejected by the ones he gave the gift to and therefore in his rejection he withdrew from them. Let me just say that our human relationships have broken up over much less than that. God the giver wants to be accepted. He wants to love and pour out blessing, but he also, and this is important, wants to be loved in return. He wants to be loved in return. But there is a difficult dynamic that we see start to build between God and his people, and it plays out again and again. Throughout the Bible, though God continues to give and forgive, his people have a difficult time returning his love. They do it when they need it. They do it when God's love fixes a problem for them. 
But once they find sure footing again, they forget about what God has done. And they turn to themselves or they turn to something around them. But here's why the writer of this psalm can call out to God. He knows something about God that God knows about himself. And we need to remember this morning, God is fundamentally a giver. And he is fundamentally a giver of what is good, of what is true, and he is fundamentally a giver of himself, of, of what only he can give, of what is completely unique to him. Which brings us to the birth of Jesus and one exchange in particular. If your Bibles are still open, open them up to Luke chapter 1. We'll be in verses 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants Forever, his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is an exchange that we've talked about here as a family before. It's a passage that if you pay any attention in any church during Christmas time, you're probably going to hear. But it's something that I know at least I have taken for granted. Of course God was going to send Jesus. Of course Mary would accept his plan. On the other side of this, we know how the story goes. We know about the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And we know that this was all his plan. But I want to pause for a moment and consider everything that had to happen in order for Jesus to be born. After all, we need a giver, we need a gift, and we need a recipient. We say that God is faithful and good, generous and forgiving. And those things are all true about him. But these statements overlook one major factor that we don't appreciate as much as we should. And that is this. God had to be willing to continue to love us. He had to be willing to continue to love us. Yes, God is love. But that love doesn't just happen in a vacuum. What do I mean? As we have seen, God has given himself and been rejected by his creation more times than we can count. 
It is no small thing then that God who faces rejection over and over again decides to continue to love his people. Furthermore, it's not very satisfying or respectful of God to simply say he loves us without recognition of what he has to choose to put up with in order to continue loving us. It makes his love cheap when we do that. So what does God have to do in order to continue to love his people? Number one, God has to be deeply in love with what he created. We know from the Genesis Genesis account that God created us to be in relationship with him. He wanted an intimate relationship with humankind, and that was represented by Adam and Eve, who he walked in the garden with. And from the very beginning, from the time the serpent spoke to Eve in the garden, we have shown that we will choose ourselves over him. That we will forsake the intimacy that we have with God and choose something else. But God, in a way that is totally unlike us, continues to love us deeply. Continues to love us deeply. Even though we so often choose something, anything besides Him. This is, and this is fascinating to me. God still dreams for us. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, it's one thing to love someone who's gone off the rails and who you think you're never going to see again. I, I love that person, but, you know, they're... God loves us even though we've gone off the rails and still dreams for us. That we will become something through our relationship with Him. And this leads us to one of the most incredible things about God. Seriously. One of the most incredible things about God, God chooses to see past the hurt so that he can continue to love. If we were keeping score, which we do in our own relationships, if we were keeping score of the relationship between us and God, we have hurt God so many times that there is no reason why he should choose to love us. And understand this, our rejection of God is painful. It hurts Him when we turn our backs on Him. And most often when we turn our backs on Him, we're not just stopping worship altogether, we're just worshiping something else. We are taking something and putting it in His place. Our rejection of God is deeply personal. It is deeply personal. But God is not willing to let this failure on our part define this relationship. God is not willing to wallow in his hurt. He wants to love us past the hurt, past the things that we have done. And so he chose to act on our behalf, which is the third thing that God had to do. He had to let his desire for redemption overcome his desire for retribution. Redemption over retribution. Listen, God has in times before punished his people for rejecting him. 
He has turned his back on them when they have turned their backs on him. But in the coming of Jesus, there is a new declaration that heaven is proclaiming to earth. Salvation has come. Redemption is here. What you have done, who you have been, will no longer be held against you. Because God is acting because of who you are. Because of how you fail. Because of what you have done wrong. God is choosing to overcome for you. But as we have seen, not every gift is received. There is a curious verse in some of our Christmas songs that I haven't paid any attention to, but it's repeated in at least two or three of them. And that line is, let earth receive her king. I've never thought about it very much. But it's asking an intriguing question. God, the giver, is giving a gift. It is a gift that is for the earth. But there is a question that hangs over the giving of the gift, isn't there? Will the earth receive her king? Or will the earth not receive her king? It is both a directive and a request, but it's a phrase that speaks a great deal of truth. Even in the coming of Jesus, people are not ready for him. There are those who tried to eliminate him before he was even born. There were those who did not understand, those who would oppose him in his life. There are those who would put him to death. Even though Jesus is the manifestation of the goodness of God, there are many who quite simply do not want the gift. They do not want the gift. Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 15. Jesus is talking to Uh, a group of people, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. So another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. There is something about this particular parable that haunts me a little bit. The giver has prepared a gift and it's a great gift. It is a celebration of the giver. It's a celebration for all of those who are invited to come. And the invitation goes out. It's fancy. It's not one of those, you know, evites that we do now. No, it's like thick paper, right? There's ribbons tied around it. 
Remember thick paper? Remember what that was like? It's a big deal. And what Jesus captures so thoroughly in this is the lame re- are the lame reasons why people say they won't go. They won't go. It's a free party where everything is taken care of. It's a celebration. They will have an experience like nothing they have ever had before and they won't go. Why? Because they just don't want to. They don't want the gift. And so they reject it from the giver and then the giver does something that is so fascinating. He does not withdraw the gift. He does not cancel the banquet. Right? Instead, he goes and looks for something. What does he look for? Who will come? People who will come. This takes us back to Mary. Fortunately, in the case of the birth of Jesus, God found just what he needed. Because you know, what God needed more than anything else in this moment that we just read about a few moments ago was someone who would say yes. I know that seems weird, but God needed someone who would say yes. For this reason, Jesus was not something that God was going to do to humanity. It's not, he wasn't some sort of magic wand that God was just going to wave over everyone. Jesus came not just to save, but to live with us, to talk with us, to eat with us, to cry with us, to heal us from our physical problems. And in order to make this happen, Jesus couldn't just appear. He needed to be born. And so when God planned for Jesus to make his appearance on, his, on this earth, he needed to find someone who would say yes to his plan. And his plan doesn't make sense. His plan doesn't make sense. But he needed someone who would say yes anyway. And I know that the angel declares to Mary that she will be blessed, that she is favored. But let's be straight here. God is totally destroying her life. He is. As an unmarried woman, she's going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Thanks, God. Everyone's going to buy that one. But the remarkable thing is that Mary welcomed this disruption to her life. You can hear some of her misgiving. How is this going to happen? What is going on? But she still is willing to sacrifice everything so that God's plan might be carried out in her life. And in making those, that statement, your will be done in me, her marriage, her reputation, her future, everything that her life could be, everything she was planning for it to be, was put on the line in her acceptance of what God asked her to do. And it is remarkable that in the great struggle between, the free, between free will and the will of God, God's desire for us and our desires for ourselves, God ultimately found a young woman who would say yes to him messing up her life. But that's why he asked her. 
What did it take for Mary to say yes to God? Number one, she had to believe in the greatness of God. I mean the overwhelming greatness of God. The God against whom no one could stand. And in particular, she had to believe that God knew exactly what he was doing. And that her life, though the details of it were now going to be scattered to the wind, that God was still capable of doing something great to her. That he was, in fact, blessing her, even though she didn't understand what was going on. And I have to believe that this idea took root because she understood God's love for his people. Understand what I mean here. In order to put her whole life at risk willingly, Mary had to know on some level that God is a good God who loves his people. That when he chooses to give gifts, that they are good gifts. That they are representation of his love and kindness. That he acts on behalf of his people at all times in all ways. And this invitation that he was extended to Mary was an invitation to be a part of the greatest act of love and care that God would ever give to his people. But it came at a cost to her. Therefore, she had to be willing to submit herself to God's plan. It takes a lot for us to put ourselves aside so that we can accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. It takes a lot for us to step out into things that we're not comfortable with. It takes a lot for us to sacrifice something we care about in order to do what God wants us to do. This is not our natural tendency to be people of true faith who go wherever God leads. But God needed someone who would be willing to go along with joy in her heart in spite of the difficulties. And Mary did just that. She agreed to participate in this crazy plan of God's, even though it would call for her to potentially give up everything she knew. And this is what God needed. This is just what God was looking for. He needed someone to participate in his plan to save the world. After all, there is a giver and there is a gift, but there has to be a recipient. There has to be someone to give the gift to. There has to be someone to accept it. Everything that was true then is still true now. God still loves us in spite of our failings. But the message I want you to hear this morning from this long story is this. We are still invited to participate in our salvation. Your salvation is not something that God is going to do to you. Your salvation is not something that God is going to make happen to you. We still today have to choose God. We have to understand the gift that he is giving. He has an amazing gift to offer all of us, but we have to receive it. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Amen? Amen. Let earth receive her king.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the gift of Jesus because he is a gift. God, you are the giver of good things. And in Jesus, we see the greatest gift of your love, your mercy, your kindness, your forgiveness. Father, we are guilty of rejecting that gift. It is difficult for us to receive it for some reason, Father, but we want to receive what you have for us today. So God, as you love us so deeply and so richly, so wonderfully and so fully, may we be smart enough to say, yes, you can do that for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have any need for prayers or encouragement this morning and you want to know this God who loves you in any sort of way, if you need any help from this family who is here to support and love you, we invite you to come as we stand and sing this song together.